0: welcome to the human experience podcast it is a personal transformation podcast focusing on improving your life business and your relationships hosted by Eldin Hassa. a mindset coach relationship coach author of a self-help book titled are we all fucked which is a step-by-step guide to becoming a best version of yourself available on amazon worldwide and also on his website eldinhasser.com eldin is also a spiritual teacher public speaker workshop and seminar facilitator and a successful property investor and developer with passion for transforming lives globally for over 15 years we have over 2 million downloads of our podcast as a thank you get a free copy of eldin's book on his website eldinhasa.com also we are hosting a free peak mindset masterclass get your free ticket on his website formulaeq.com or find the link in this podcast hurry seats are limited share this podcast with your friends and family and help our mission to empower humanity please remind yourself every day how amazingly awesome you already are thank you and welcome your amazing host eldin hassa
1: Welcome everyone to the Human Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Sam Morris from Austin, Texas, USA, and he is a personal development coach and a mental health specialist. Welcome, Sam. Could you kindly introduce yourself to our audience?
2: Yeah. Hi, Alden. Great. Thanks for having me. Really great to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm from Austin, Texas, recently relocated from California. Um, I am a, uh, I work with men. I do men's work. So it's personal development for men, mental health coaching for men. I like to, I like to say I help men slay mental dragons. So that, that kind of resonates with a lot of people. They can view it as you know, dragons just eating away at their brain, eating away at their, their mental health. And so I like to slay those dragons. And um, yeah, it's great to be here.
1: Could you tell me how the Unbreakable Men Project came about? Can we dive a bit more into this? Do you yeah, work sure. only with men? Do you work with ladies as
2: well? Mm-hmm. And do you work with groups? Yeah, um, yeah, so the Unbreakable Man Project came about through, it was a lot of my own experience. You know, I've, I've had two experiences with the word unbreakable in my life. Back in, so I was, a, I, I was an alcoholic and a drug addict for 15 years. And in that time, I used, to, I, I, was, I used to say I was invincible. You know, I couldn't be, nothing could take me down, nothing could kill me. Um, and I was using, it, using the term unbreakable in a very reckless manner. You know, I, I, through my addiction, I survived cancer twice. I fell off a balcony 35 feet one time, uh, multiple times in jail, multiple times in the hospital from you know, falling and hitting my head and just a lot of things that were physically, I felt that I was using this term as unbreakable and I was invincible and it was really, really detrimental to use it in that term. So when I got sober in 2012, you know, the thought was, is I'll get sober and everything will just fall into place. That all life will be you know, all puppies and rainbows. And you know it was, uh, things got a lot better for sure. No question about it. If I when I removed the drinking, you know, I stopped going to jail, stopped going to the hospital, stopped getting cancer, stopped falling off balconies. All those things are true, but life still showed up. And life, you know, my dad passed away when I was three years sober. My sister passed away when I was six years sober, and. I went through a really dark depression when I was five years sober and so all these things were happening and I realized that like through it all through all the addiction and flipping that word unbreakable into you know an unbreakable spirit an unbreakable will an unbreakable desire to not let things take me down you know um, so when I decided to, Start the Unbreakable Man Project. Um, it was an evolution of personal training um, that I had been doing for four years. And then I went into the life coaching and recovery coaching. I was helping a lot of guys in early sobriety kind of just recalibrate their life, uh, learn how to live sober, have relationships sober, go on dates sober, do all the things that we love to do, but just without the alcohol. You know, it's, it's a huge adjustment. And then from there, what I realized was that a lot. Not a lot. All the guys that I was dealing with all had underlying anxiety and depression issues. And so from there, what I did is I I, I narrowed it down to I'm going to help men overcome depression and anxiety and t- to live the their fullest potential. And so that's where the Unbreakable Man came in. Unbreakable Man project came in is that I want to show men and teach them how to tap into that unbreakable will that they already have. You know, and not use it as some sort of ultra masculine thing. Like use it as tapping into the vulnerability, tapping into the sadness, tapping into the Grief, tapping into all these things that we avoid, tapping into all these things that, that by avoiding they harden us. You know, like a, it's like dropping a, a plastic bottle versus dropping a glass bottle. If you drop a plastic bottle, it's going to bounce around and, and and you know it's going to be fine. But if you drop a glass bottle, very rigid, it's going to shatter. So I like to use that analogy and think that you know it's a lot better to be bendable and be malleable and be fluid in your life and allow things to come in and out and handle them to make yourself unbreakable. I see. I like that analogy. And it's sort of like,
1: you know, when you watch a palm tree, you can learn a lot Mm. from a palm tree. It looks very sturdy, very strong. But if you watch it on a windy day, sometimes it's so flexible that it touches the ground, touches the sand. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, a few moments later, when the wind and the storm passes, it's standing upright, strong and proud. So I really like that analogy. And uh, what I'm interested to know. so. You know how you are helping men to obviously connect, not only deal with their mindset, uh, deal with their anxiety, with their depression, but I also understand the vulnerability aspect that you are trying to help them to see and experience and acknowledge their emotions in order to be able to deal. Because naturally, uh, we are trained, especially men, that the negative emotions feel bad and we try to escape we don't like to acknowledge them we don't like to see them and if we can that's why a lot of people you know consume substances drink alcohol maybe eat a lot of food to numb those emotions to hide from those emotions rather than experience them because we are not taught and you know uh, our parents uh, blessed them. My father also passed away seven years ago. They didn't have enough tools in their toolbox to teach us those things. So now, with your training and with my training, we are able to help people with their mental health issues. So, can you ta- tell me more about? Can we dive a bit more about your experience with helping people with their emotions?
2: Yeah, um, I would spin off that a little bit. Like, it wasn't that even we weren't even. It's it's not even that we weren't taught how to handle. Those emotions, because we weren't. But it was also on the other side of that, or even further down that rabbit hole, is that we were taught that it's a weakness. Yes. We were taught that it's weakness to show to cry or to show sadness, even grief. You know, and and a lot of times that gets transmuted into um, it's strong to show anger. So when you get sad, people get angry. You know, like anger is a. Is one of the major manifestations of depression, anxiety, sadness, grief. It all channels itself into anger. And that's how we externally show it. You know, we get angry at our wife, or we get angry at our kids, or a coworker, or some random person on the street that just you know is walking too slowly in front of us. An- anger can be a great way, a great outlet, not the correct outlet, but it can be a, an outlet that all that sadness and vulnerability. Is better shown as anger because it's tougher it's stronger. It's not weakness. And so when I, what I try to teach the guys that I work with and coach them through is that you don't have to pitch a tent in in vulnerability. You don't have to put a, set up camp in sadness, in grief, in in the quote unquote weak emotions, right? But you have to acknowledge that they're there. You have to say like, I'm feeling sad right now. I'm cr- I'm gonna cry right now, or I'm crying right now, and let it happen because only I, I equate it to um a uh, a beach ball. You know, it's all it's like when you have a beach ball in the in the water and like the emo- imagine the emotions to have the beach ball and you're trying to press the beach ball down the water it always comes popping back up with much more force, right? So every time that we stuff those emotions down, just like that beach ball, they're not going anywhere. And the only way to get that beach ball underwater is to deflate it, deflate the emotions. So by dealing with them, by looking at them, by feeling them, and then by talking about them and, and finding out where they actually came from, you know, what story was it from your childhood, from, the, from those core beliefs that we established from before we're, before we're seven years old, how does that play into what's going on right now? Like, what are the patterns of our life? And then that's that's the deflation of the beach ball. That's the deflation of the emotions. And to say that you're never going to feel sad again, that's not true. But the thing about it is, is that once you have these tools in place, you can then acknowledge these feelings and handle them and move forward without dragging them with you and without using anger as an outlet, you know, you can say I'm uncomfortable right now. And so when we can translate and we can, we can um, rewrite that story around weakness and, and make it into, I'm strong enough to feel these emotions. Cause really weakness that it's, it's fear. It's like, it's fear of I don't want to look weak or I don't want to feel weak. It's fear of if I, if I do this, if I, if I cry, you know, my wife won't think I'm manly enough. Or if I, if I show vulnerability in the workplace, I might get fired. Or if, you know, if you own the company, if you show vulnerability, if you show quote unquote weakness, if you show that you're human. You know the the people that work for you won't look at you as a leader, and in reality, it, it's it's a it's an old myth, it's an old stigma that needs to be smashed. Because it, the it's quite the opposite. When you show vulnerability, when you show you know compassion and empathy, and when you show that you that you're just like everybody else, that's true leadership. And to and to and as men, you know we are we're the leaders. Like we that's what we are. The physically stronger sex, like as physically superior beings, like our job is not to violently create space. We're supposed to gently. And safely create space for the rest of the world.
1: Yes, I agree. And what is your experience in sort of workplace in corporations? Because my experience in the UK, it's very much stigmatized and discriminated against anything in relation to mental health, anything in relation to so called mental health issues. When people are asked, if um, they are willing to come forward in their workplace to talk to their managers, to the CEO about they are going through something. And a lot of them are afraid to come forward because of the fear that they're going to be discriminated against. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, when the question is asked, if they believe there are some resources available within their company where they work, often the answer is, I don't think so. So they don't think that there is any support. They don't think that it's appropriate for them to even come forward. But then as a result in the UK, this is a research independent companies have done insurance companies, that about 650 million pounds a year was the cost of people calling in sick, being unwell, and over 60% of those sick days was related to mental health rather than physical. It translated into a weakened immune system, cold Mm -hmm. and flu, migraines, and maybe exhaustion, overwhelm. Whatever it was is a physical reaction, but it started from the mental health, from overwhelm, from stress. And they didn't feel like they're going to be supported if they come forward. Only recently, I would say, it's a sort of very taboo topic in the UK. And can you put some light on what has been happening in the US um, over the last few years?
2: Yeah, um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty similar conversation over here. Um, that people, you know, it's a lot easier to call up and say, I have a runny nose than I'm feeling anxious today. You know, but that, and you very you might be, you might convince yourself with that, uh, the, the immune system response that that anxiety does manifest itself in a runny nose or a headache or the stress that you're talking about. So it's just not as accepted to say, like, I'm having a bad mental health day. And as a saying, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling well today, right? Physically, like I have a a stomach bug or something. Um, And so that is, it's a perceived stereotype that people have been, that we've built the, cult, the companies have built. It starts from the top. It starts from the culture. The culture of the company. Um, all these big corporations that have been around forever. You know, they people go in with fear. They 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 go into the fear of looking less than. The fear of not being a quality employee because their mental health is questionable. They're having a bad mental health day. They think that's immediately a fireable offense. I mean, to take it to the extreme. That's the conversation that goes on in the head. So, but if you call up and say, you know, it's it's like saying like I'm calling up. I'm I'm calling in because I'm hungover. Well, you. You're calling in because you have an upset stomach, and saying you're hungover is not acceptable. And, but saying that you have, like, I'm calling, I'm calling in because I feel, you know, my anxiety is out of control today. Like that's, people are going to, the thought in the head of the person is, well, they're just going to tell me to come in anyways. Like, I won't be acknowledged. You know, I won't, I won't be heard. Like it, people won't listen to me, won't take me seriously because mental health is so intangible. You know, it, it's anxiety. You can't, there's no, There's there are symptoms to anxiety, and, but there's no symptoms like I have a headache or my stomach hurts or... I mean, those are those can be symptoms of anxiety, but they're not tangible as, the, as in comparison to like having a cold or having food poisoning or or, or getting the flu bug or something like that. So the conversation needs to start from you kind of got to go back up the food chain and, and look at the culture of the company. So it's in order to fix this. So going from the CEO or the president or the owner or the founder, whoever it is has to establish a culture of that safety that we're talking about of that. You know, the, there's a lot of, com- I've seen a lot more companies recently that have actually acknowledged mental health as being a, a valid thing, a valid like reason why that someone might not be performing at their best. And so they've, in, they've instituted from the top down perspective, mental health, like things about mental health, ways to treat mental health, ways to handle mental health, ways to ensure that the culture of the company supports mental health as opposed to creates mental illness. And so when you look at companies, a lot of companies that I've seen have a the, the culture of the C-level executives is very, very toxic. And so that filters its way down into the rest of the company where employees feel like they can't ask questions or they can't say, I don't know. Or they can't say, you know, I'm confused or can you explain that to me again? They're afraid to say, can you please repeat that? Because I didn't get it the first time. And th- th- this trickles down into that's now, now it's anxiety because now I'm, I'm sitting here at my desk. My boss just told me what to do. But I, I, I didn't say that I didn't know how to do this. So now I'm sitting here and I don't know what to do. And now the anxiety comes in. So it's a snowball effect. It starts with the culture of the company and, and manifests itself into, into that. that you know, there's, a, there's another, I don't know the exact statistic, but the lost wages due to um, not only the cost of illnesses, but the, the loss the loss of ing- the loss of revenue from it.
1: I see. Now, I wanted to ask you if you can tell me, I know that you personally have created a particular system which you find works best with your coaching clients. If you don't mind, can we dive a bit into that?
2: Yeah. So um, the system that I use on a, on a 30,000 foot view of it is um, we have to go back and we have to look at why, why basically it comes down to the question I ask is why are we on the phone right now? you know with a client like someone that I have never met before in my life that found me through LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, you know wh- why are we on the phone right now? so let's find that out, let's work backwards from this moment, you know press pause, detach yourself from current pain, current anxiety, current depression, which is really hard to do, but for the time being if if you can go backwards and work backwards and find out as far back as you can go and I, when I say like age zero to seven, that's when all the core beliefs were installed. In us. From age seven to fifteen, we start reinforcing those beliefs with experiences. And then from ages fifteen to whenever 35, 45, every experience is just a, a, rep- a, a pattern. You know, it's a repetition with similar results. You know, I call them the always outcomes. Like it always ends this way for me. A job always ends this way for me. A relationship always ends this way for me. And it's not just you know the intimate relationships. It's the friendships. It's it, it really is when you when you take a step back and you look at you boil it down to the roots of where this, where this comes from, you know, it feels like heartbreak is like the only like the problem right now when when you break up with your girlfriend or your partner, like that, that feels like heartbreak. But if you look back, that's a template, you know, this was your, your response and this experience is a template for loss of a job, loss of a friendship. Maybe you had a really good friend through college and you guys had a falling out. That's heartbreak. It's the same thing but it just doesn't get put in the same box and doesn't get looked at the same. And you know, it's, it's not viewed as a weakness. It's, it's that stigma again. And so um, when I take my clients, I, I don't spend a lot of time in this because when you spend a lot of time in this area in the past, the, the pitfall, is to always feel like you're fixing, you know, like I need to be fixed. I always need to be fixed. I, and so you can't, if you, if you are always fixing yourself, what's the opposite of that? Or what's the the flip side of that is you are subconsciously always telling yourself that you're broken. So you're going to live broken. You're going to live with that mentality of I'm broken. I need to be fixed. So fixing is cool. Like I, I had to do a lot of fixing in my life, but to stay in a place of like always fixing is a lot different than a place of I am growing. I am enhancing. So it's, to get, to move, to spend as little time as possible in the past and find out, so I I tell my clients to pick, we end up with like about eight to 10 examples, um, events throughout their life. And this is from, say if they're 40 years old when they get to me, you know, three events from you know, the, the adulthood, 20 to 40, three events from, you know, teenage years, and then three events from childhood. That's about nine events. So we can basically determine the pattern in all these events and determine the story that came out of this, out of these events. So the story that started long ago, and then how does this story keep repeating itself? How are you manifesting this story? How do you keep living this story over and over again? And so then from there, we quick, because well, so once you see the story, once you see the pattern, you can't unsee it. And then you'll start to see it everywhere in your life. You'll start to notice you're doing it in little interactions at Starbucks or whatever it is. Like you'll notice these patterns and these defaults that you have that are no longer serving you. So now we move from living in that repeated pattern to establishing new patterns. And a lot of people say like rewriting the narrative. I like to say writing a new narrative, completely not scrapping the old narrative. I mean, acknowledging it and using it, but rewriting means, you know, like go back and edit. And I I like to say, just stop here. Put a, put a period on it or an exclamation point or new chapter and let's write new. Let's, let's start writing new stuff. Where do you want to be in six months or a year? And then we move, we move into building that. We, we move into like we pick five to seven usually about. Sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's a little less, but big things that that, that client wants six months from now or to at least be working towards six months from now. You know, one of them could be not depressed. One of them can be low anxiety. One of them could be finding love. It could be anything, but let's, let's pick some targets and then move towards them. And so from there, the third part of it is I like to say, I like to set a course and then not stick to it. Because setting a course is, it can be very, um, it can be very helpful to have a roadmap. Absolutely. Have a target. But if you get stuck on that roadmap, if you get stuck on that course and you're, say you get lost and you keep, and you don't go back and you don't readjust and you don't recalibrate to your compass, you're going to be getting more lost and more lost and more lost. So if we find out that say we want, we want to find a certain type of girl, a certain girlfriend that is our ideal mate. And we get three months in or two months in and we find out that well maybe that what I said about my ideal mate was not actually the case and I want something different now I'm not afraid to change it but let's not keep fighting. let's not keep chasing what we don't want let's let's recalibrate and look back and find a new find the uh, updated target and go towards that so the, the, the three big things are you know look at the past learn from it design the future and then from there it's it's course corrections
1: I see Now, I wanted to ask you, so you work one-to-one, and before the lockdown, were you doing it mainly remotely or also face-to-face?
2: Yeah, I've been I've been remote for a few years. So you know, not much not so much changed with me not, for the lockdown. <laughs> not much has changed. Uh, I see. Yeah, so I do I do one on one coaching. I also I um, for for the I did a, a group for the length of the quarantine. Okay. So I I'm doing a men's group on Fridays for just for guys to come in just, you know, if they whatever they wanna let out, let out on with you know in the in the safe place that I provide. It's 90 minutes. It's, it's um, just come and show up and say, we do a quick check-in at the beginning and find out exactly what's going on today. And then you just give these guys a chance to kind of let it out. Uh, my one-on-one coaching is five months long. The program is five months. And so most of that time, I'll tell you, most of that time is in the course correction. Because so I like to get to the point, like like I said, stop fixing, let's start enhancing. Like once we once we get fixed and tuned up, you know, you don't take your car to the shop to get fixed and then leave it in the shop to yeah. keep getting fixed. Like you take your car back out and you drive it. Right? And you so keep like, that's steering, how, yeah. Like, well if it needs if it needs to be tweaked, we tweak it right yeah but if it's but if you if you say like say you need like a a new fuel line, you go in and you get the fuel line and then you go back out and you drive the car. you don't keep fixing the fuel line that's already been fixed,
1: yes. And I I really like your approach because a lot of uh, therapists and perhaps even some coaches, they get stuck in repetitively asking clients to explain their story, their past patterns. And what that does to a client, to a patient, it's the brain does not understand and distinguish that this is not happening right now. The physiological experience of those emotions of some trauma could be like they had a breakup or they they had a, a... any other sort of trauma in the childhood, they relive in that. So actually, Mm -hmm. that isn't helpful. And I really like your approach, how you identify certain patterns, certain stories. And I like the way you describe them as stories, because that's what they are. And Mm -hmm. as we know that each person thinks about fifty to 60, 70,000 thoughts a day, scientists have confirmed now that over 90% of those thoughts are repetitive. Mm -hmm. They are not new. They are the same thoughts. And as you said, they are the patterns. And usually people struggle because without your help and without help uh, of coaches and, and, and professionals, they struggle because first they never step back to evaluate, to contemplate, to think about. So they say, okay, I'm not happy. I'm depressed. My heart always gets broken. I keep losing my job. I keep having arguments with my family, with my with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my husband, wife, with friends. And I don't seem to be getting on with people. And I'm always like sort of angry and anxious. So they can sort of observe what they are doing, but they never stop to evaluate where is this coming from. So they just sort of in by and let life happen. And then, you know, they come across somebody like you who says, okay, let's dissect everything. And now, mm-hmm. okay, stop here put the pause, put the full stop or exclamation point and let me give you bag of tools that you, first you choose your goals, your big goals, six months, one year goals that you like to achieve. And I'm going to give you bag of tools. I'm Mm going to provide you guidance, accountability, motivation, inspiration that you can check in and we're going to make sure that, and as you said, course correction, because if you like you drive a car, so let's say you use the same route to get to uh, from home to work, and one day you come across this roadblock road works you 're not going to come out of the vehicle and leave the car stranded mm-hmm. and panic what are you 're going to do you 're going to find alternative route right. to get to where you want to get so a coach like you does that with your experience, with your guidance, with your tools. you yes, help
2: I- people not to feel overwhelmed. Yeah, that's a great, I love that. I've used that analogy a lot about the the route we take to work. You know, we do the same route every day. And so one day we're driving down the road and we're a little bit late for work and there's some construction on the road. And so we have to find a new route, right? And so what, what if that route, the new route that we had to find is actually faster and more efficient than the old route that we were so stuck to? You know, we had been doing that route every day for three to five years or whatever. And one day we were forced to find a new route and we actually ended up getting to work five minutes earlier. So you just saved yourself five minutes, you know, just like all, so to be open to that possibility that there might be a better way is, is one of the ma- most helpful tools that you could ever have. Absolutely.
1: And I also understand that you evaluate their patterns and help them to create new patterns, new rituals, new habits, yeah. which are going to be having positive impact on the various areas of of their life which are they they are all interlinked you know people think okay i have problems in my relationship it's not going to affect my job my business my intimate relationship but it's all interlinked if people have issues with their physical health maybe mental health they think, oh, this has got nothing to do with my uh, not closing sales in my business or being late on my my bill payments and my mortgage payments. But it's all interlinked. But once you break it down for them, that it's all interconnected and it all boils down to your repetitive patterns, thought process, your mindset, the the quality questions. Like the there is power in questions, and I'm sure you've got like bag of tools with hundreds of thousands of questions which are very powerful for them to sort of repeat those questions daily to say, okay, so what do I want? Why must I have it? Because a lot of people confuse I should with I yeah. must. Mm-hmm. I should is like a wish, you know, you just sort of getting by and it's like, oh, it's like I'm writing a New Year's resolution. By January 25th, it's none of the yeah, 80%, 80% of the yeah. things of, yeah, exactly. So I must. And it's a strong why that gives you motivation to show up every day, to show up, to follow your guidance, to show up for coaching, to Mm -hmm. show up for getting the objectives that they set for the next six months.
2: Yeah. um, You say should, uh, a quick little tangent, like should is also when you look at the past, you know, I shouldn't, like I got in a car accident and something happened and you know, I I lost my dream car or whatever, something I shouldn't have been there. You know, people get really attached to I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't. Have, I should never have met that person that caused me this heartbreak. And that's an, and to be released from that, to understand that, yes, you should have because you did, is a huge step to moving forward, too. It takes a little bit of repetition, some affirmations and visualization, but as opposed to, you know, if things could have happened differently, they would have. If yeah. things should have happened differently, they would have. To release yourself from that past, and then going forward. Like, I yeah. feel like I should be married with a kid at 32. You know? I mean, says who? Says who? Right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. said you should, right? I yeah. mean, if that, is that what you want? If that's what you want, Good, then you know what? Then you should be. But if that's not something that aligns with you, if that's not something that's showing up, then probably going to want to readjust that. Look at that target again.
1: Yeah, people sort of often live in the past and they keep dwelling on I shouldn't have been in that relationship or in that job. I shouldn't have moved to that city because if I had stayed or if I had done differently, I would have been here and there. And actually, that takes away a lot of energy a lot of power Mm, from the present moment to evaluate what they can do in the now see those experiences as blessings you've learned so many things and hopefully you're not going to be repeating the same mistakes the same patterns going forward and you can you know use this amazing bag of tools that sam gives you and and move forward and and achieve all the goals i mean who's to say as you said you should be married by 30 32 35 and and you know having two and a half children and living with two up and two down and you know it's yeah. you know it's, it's it's a myth you know or yeah. or having 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 the whole life figured out in middle school because it's an expectation from family uh, or from the neighbors across the road you know that you should have the life you know american dream it's a global dream you know around the world everybody is sort of used to which is the misconception coming from 1980s but i believe in 2020 that we live now and with the global um, things changing that people have begun to realize what is truly important and they have started to adjust their priorities that this what you and i are doing this is important this is a priority mm. the interaction and human connection we're not talking from here you and i we are connecting from the heart from the soul which mm-hmm. is what being a true strong masculine man should be absolutely and every single guy should be striving to do that there is there it's it's so beautiful and so powerful to see a strong guy physically strong looking to be so open with these feelings with his heart with his soul the way he communicates his vulnerability Cri- cries at movies who says that men shouldn't cry at the cinema at the theater watching an yeah. emotional movie who says that that's uh, unacceptable you know so uh, yeah. i really i really admire what you do and uh, the you. niche the niche you have selected i think it's very important because um, even before this pandemic, the suicide rate has been about 2,500 people globally uh, commit suicide every single day prior to 2020. And hmm. according to some statistics, over 75% are men aged yeah. 15 to 45. Yeah. And I think that connects Profoundly, to the work that you do and with your experiences and your teachings, because I think it stems from that that men should not express emotions, they should not look weak, but as the the beach ball you know eventually comes up, you mm-hmm. can't keep Always. pushing it down, no. you've got to experience it, deflate it, release it, and it's very admirable work that you do because um, I have people in the u k who work in call centers for domestic violence as well as like uh, helplines like samaritans uh, people who try to commit suicide abuse to children you know sort of mental health issues and they told me that the helplines for people calling that they're trying to commit suicide have like gone tenfold mm. and i and i understand it's a it's global
2: issue not just in the uk yeah it's absolutely a global issue um you know, uh, worldwide, I think that um, 30%, 33% of, of men at one point either are struggling or will struggle with some sort of mental illness in their life. And whether that's a deep depression, mild depression, some form of, some form of anxiety something one in so 33 percent. that means like that means uh, um one out of three so basically if of your core group of guys like if i'm speaking to guys if your core group of guys say it's five or six like one or two of them is is either now struggling or at some point will struggle with a mental illness and out of that only one in four will actually seek help for it or talk about it yeah that's crazy
1: that is that is crazy now if i can ask you to go into your bag of tools and let's say If you can share some insights, if you can shed some light, what could a guy do or anybody, male or female, he, she, it, what could they do if they are feeling anxious, they're feeling current overwhelmed in the quarantine, in the lockdown, you know, Mm -hmm. they live in in the same household with same family members, maybe with the girlfriend, boyfriend, with yeah. the children. And if they're feeling stress and anxiety and overwhelm and they're having these negative self-talk and negative thoughts, what can they do to alleviate the issues and you know to help them cope until I don't think things will ever get back to normal, but until they can seek professional help, maybe some people can't afford it because they lost a job. But what can they do? Any tips you can give us?
2: Yeah. um, The first one is you have to be okay with saying, I need a minute, you know, quote unquote. I need, I just, if you're with, you know, at your house with your girlfriend or your family, whatever it is, there's gotta be somewhere that you can go for maybe 10 minutes and just say, I need a minute and then remove yourself from the situation because what's going to happen is now that it's all, you know, there's no external validation happening. There's no external escapes available. The rapid escalation of the, of the events of the the fights or the, uncomfortable the overwhelm the anxiety the depression is going to be you know skyrocketed the the speed at which it happens so you have to be able to say I need a minute and go off to yourself and what I like to tell my clients is it's it's a four-step process that I take them through and it can take anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes but what it is is you meditate just a few minutes Um, three minutes is, is all you really need just breathing deep breaths in deep breaths out And then move, exercise. So just like do push-ups, do some squats, do some lunges, uh, do a little bit of yoga, stretching, something like that. Just get your body moving. And then the, the third thing is laugh. Like find something funny on the internet. Um, there's tons of comedians out there. You can find a comedy clip, throw on, you know, cat videos or whatever it is that you need to do to just release that tension and, and laugh. And then the, the fourth thing, fourth thing, and it's fourth for a reason is talk. So either that means after you've had your time away from your wife or your girlfriend or, or your, your in-laws that you're living with, whatever it is at that point, you should have the, the proper, um, levels of, of serotonin in your blood, the endorphins from, the, from the moving the laughter you know, the cortisol should be dropped and you're in a position where you can either call one of your buddies or call a friend and, and just talk about what happened and let it out. Like release that steam, release that air from the, because what you're doing is you're in a pressure cooker. We're all in a pressure cooker right now. So after you've done the first three, the meditate, exercise, and laugh, the fourth thing is talk. The talk is the real letting the top off the pressure cooker, letting the steam out, letting the air out of the beach ball. That's the real goal. So by the time you've done the meditation, you've you've paused, given yourself a chance to collect yourself, lowered your um, your sympathetic nervous system, get into some controlled breathing, and then exercise, move around a little bit. Movement. If you move your body, you're gonna move your mind. It's just the, it's a scientific fact. And the, the laugh is a huge release. It's kind of a reward. It's a reward mechanism. Yeah. So if you laugh, you've rewarded yourself for taking that moment. You've rewarded yourself for the exercise. You've rewarded yourself for you know handling your business. And then at that point you should either be ready to talk about talk to your wife or your girlfriend or your partner whoever it is about what happened and, and you'll have a much better head on your shoulders or you can call up somebody if, you're, if you live by yourself call up a friend and just say hey i just you know i i had a really a little bit mini anxiety attack and this is what was happening this is what triggered it and now I, now i feel better but just the act of saying it out loud could mm-hmm. takes all the power away from it Yeah, get it off of your chest. So
1: I I understand it. I use a similar sort of approach with my clients and with people that I used to give advice about similar topic. So what what I understand is that, so in the step one, when we feel the need that we need to say, I need a moment, I need a minute. We are experiencing sort of fight or flight situation and we feel overwhelmed. And usually if we stay in that position, in that situation, we're going to react, not respond intelligently. So the second thing that you said, the meditation, obviously that begins to release that um, pent up energy. And the third thing is the exercise It's emotion, energy in motion. So you're releasing that tension, that emotion, And once you don't have this emotion anymore, the fourth step, as you say, it's well you have the laughter that releases even further and the fourth step is talking but I do advise people who are listening to this to choose their words carefully because what you say and how you say it has an impact to the recipient to the listener so let's say you had you started to have an argument with a girlfriend and you say I need a moment you went and you followed the steps that Sam described earlier so you went away you did a meditation you did the exercise, you did laughter. Now it's time for you to come back. But how you communicate is important. So if you say you, 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 if you start the sentence with you made me, Mm. you make me, what's that going to do is trigger fight or flight response in your girlfriend. And she's not going to be able to listen or hear anything that you are trying to express. So what I say to them is start the sentence with, I need the moment to express how I feel. And you say everything with I feel, not you make me or you made me, I feel. Mm -hmm. And by saying whatever happened in the moment, 15, 20 minutes ago, now I'm very calm and peaceful. And I'd like to respond in order to celebrate our love, to create the connection that we lost half an hour ago, because we were fine all of a sudden, we had a massive bust up. So I want to say how I feel. So I feel tension in my body i felt i felt i wasn't heard i felt i wasn't listened i felt uncomfortable i felt so when you say i i i i i The other person has no need to react, to feel offended, to feel attacked. They just listen. And you say, if you give me five minutes of your time and let me express how I feel without interruption, and then afterwards, if you like to make comments, if you... And more often than not, the recipient of what you said, I feel, I feel, I feel, had no idea that you felt like this. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't even know. That's how you felt. I'm sorry, honey. And then people kiss and hug and not, like nothing happened. But it's very important to say I rather than you because we yeah, are, absolutely. society is programmed us that, you know, oh, you need to make me happy. Like, what's the job of my girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife is, oh, She needs to make me happy. He needs to make me happy. No one can make you happy. It's ludicrous because your emotions, your feelings are experienced in you. So it's not their job. They are dealing with their own things. They are dealing with their own anxieties, their own lack of self-esteem, self-worth, like I'm not enough, whatever it was, their own stories from childhood who knows you know you're not their therapist neither they are your therapist that's why people need to see Sam they need to see people like you and they need your coaching your your programs to become unbreakable, as you call it. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. The the work you do, it's incredible.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, that, that point you made about being mindful of the other person is just incredibly massive. And that's the whole thing about not reacting, taking that saying, I need a minute. Like because when you react from that place, you're you're probably reacting from fear, fear of loss, fear of fear of not being enough. Some kind of internal fear that you have is is what's driving that reaction. And when you take a pause. And you collect your thoughts and you come back with the intent of being mindful of the other person. That's when the real healing starts to happen and the real, and the reconnection, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I, I learned it the hard way. I've had, um, I've been married for nearly three years, been with my wife for seven and a half years, and I've never been happier in my life. We we have a great communication, great relationship. We have dialogues and debates, but we never argue. So she's very strong-minded, strong opinionated, but we don't yeah. have bust-ups. You know, even if we live in a shoebox together, we never argue because we are very mindful of other person's feelings. We are very mindful of also there's a lot of things that people don't understand. That for example, when we are in the work mode, both male and female, it takes a moment for the work mode to transition into sort of lovey dovey home mode. And now that we're working from home, Hmm. people need to understand this to 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 flick the switch from so let's say if you're a lady and you work in a corporate world, you're Dominant energy is feminine in most cases, but if you're working in a, in a job where it requires sort of your intellectual mind, uh, cre- sort of not creative, but sort of logical mind dominant, let's say you're in finance or in law, you're going to be working in a different mindset. You, you are not in a lovey dovey creative space. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of space that you need to be at home. So let's say at 3 p.m. is still office hours, boyfriend or husband comes into your bedroom, wherever you have your workspace, and he wants some attention. What he doesn't understand is she cannot give you the same attention because she is not in that energy. Oh, mm-hmm. she doesn't like me. She doesn't <laughs> love me. No, mate. Yeah, you, need to under, you need to understand the psychology the energies, how they change from moment to moment. This is why people, when they commute from work home, they need that half an hour, one hour commute to get back into the state of, okay, now I'm the girlfriend I'm the mother, I'm the wife. And then when they, some, some ladies used to tell me, I feel like I, when I leave home to go to work, I put the armor on Mm -hmm. and I go. And as soon as I'm approaching, if they drive to the driveway of my apartment block or my house, I feel like I can take the armor off and I can be vulnerable. I can be my true self. But most men, they don't understand this and they get angry. They get upset. Ah, she's ignoring me. She doesn't like me. She doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. And Insecurity, I'm sure yeah. you you have had these kind of uh, experiences with clients and maybe in your life as well.
2: Yeah, a lot right now, because like you said, like we had those that commute, was like a, it was a built-in, baked-in separation of our day. Whether that was from home to work or work to home, like we had that time programmed into us. So what I tell my clients is, why does it have to change? Like what why, why can't you take, so your commute was a half an hour. Why can't you end your work day and go for a 30 minute walk? and then come back and and, and readjust in that time yeah, recalibrate. That body clock yeah keep, keep that routine keep that separation for me it was the uh, when the gyms closed is when I got thrown off a little bit because my separation of my morning into my rest of my day was leaving my leaving my house to go to the gym so now that the gyms aren't open I got I got a little thrown off by in not having that actual physical separation delineation of my day so so now instead of that now I'll do is I'll leave my house I'll go for a walk and then I'll come I'll, I'll go outside and work out. I don't have to go to the gym, like that's not available to me anymore. But you can still have that delineation you can still have that time. You know, kids off sc- kids doing what they're doing, take 30 minutes and walk as your commute and then walk back into your office. You know, and I tell my a lot of my clients too is like dress like you normally would if you're gonna go to the office. And it's hard because we're not nobody's going to an office. So but like when you actually do these things normally, your brain recognizes these patterns and it makes you more effective and it makes you it makes you a, a more efficient human being. Absolutely. Now I'm sure
1: that you have developed various rituals, various habits for yourself, which I guess you also share some of those with your clients. So for our listeners, if you can tell me what your personal uh, positive daily rituals are, do you have them in the morning, throughout the day, in the evening? Uh, If you can share some insight, please.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have a definite morning and an evening routine to bookend my day. And the morning routine is um, hydration, movement, meditation, and that, those are three. Those are the four things that so, I must uh, do hydration. before I get. Yeah, I just—it's a lemon, lemon, uh, p- pink sea salt, and water in a mixer bottle. Okay. First thing every day. And you uh, finish the whole whole bottle, or you sick? Yeah, just chug, just chug it. Yeah. Chug it. Okay. Just because because we, like I mean, think about it. Like we we during the day, how often do you go six to eight hours without drinking any water? Ever? Never. That's true. So overnight, you're super dehydrated because you've been eight or nine hours without water. So Absolutely. the first thing you should do is just rehydrate your cells, rehydrate your body. That's that's like, like that's kind of my body my signal signal. Signal to my body that okay, I'm awake now. It gets the digestion going with the lemon. Gets the pH levels up. The salt replaces the electrolytes. It's a. It it just tells my body that it's it's go time now. Sure. And Um, then second is meditation. Second is meditation, and um, that goes anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes, depending on. I just kind of I I give it enough time where I you know I can kind of feel. I think eight to 12 minutes is where. They say that it it really starts to take hold the meditation. So if you can give it eight minutes to get yourself, because the first eight minutes, you're kind of like you're calming your jaw, you're calming your eyes, you're calming your thoughts. And after about eight minutes to the 12 minute mark is where the meditation really sinks in. And then I let it I let it go for as long as I feel necessary after that. Just because it, it you know, it's it just it, it feels so good to just start my day off with that grounding and that calmness and that breathing. And I do a little, I I end it with a little visualization of my ideal life. And then from there. I go right into some wim hof breathing i do three three rounds of wim hof um and that for me that's a pretty recent addition it's been a game changer for me the breath work and i I mean we don't have time now but i can go into a whole whole different thing about why that's important
1: i i do the same i uh so i wake up i don't mix the water with anything i just have water like two to three large glasses and then i do i meditate for an hour and then after i meditate I sometimes I do guided, but more often than not it's just I set the alarm and that's it and it's silence for one hour and I make sure I do not lie down I sit because often people say okay I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna lie in bed what that does the brain associates bed with sleeping and more often than not you're gonna fall asleep and you're gonna lose the benefit of meditation so if you can sit up maybe even sit up and rest against the bed rest or sit in the chair or on the edge of the bed and then third thing is as soon as i finish my meditation the alarm goes off i do three rounds of wim hof breathing uh, which is about 11 12 minutes because uh, mm-hmm. you know you have an option to pause the recording yeah to prolong your breath hold and i yeah, do that, app,
2: that his, his app is amazing
1: yeah so i i do like a two and a half minutes of breath hold and you know you have like 30 40 breaths and yeah. then the recovery breath it's really good enough that the the next thing i do i have an ice cold shower yeah which <laughs> which i've been doing for years and that's yeah. so breathing and the and the showers are wim hof method as in trademark but i've been doing them even before wim hof sort of labeled them as his method because yeah you see historically the breeding where it comes from yoga meaning of true meaning of yoga is not a western word which is mm-hmm. like bending your body into like handstands and you know yeah. the downward dog and all of that it means union so through the breath work the yogis they used to be secluded with guru with a master for maybe two to five years in the mountains of himalayas to learn how to elevate their kundalini energy which is at the base of their spine through breath work through diaphragm uh, breath Mm -hmm. and this is where the idea of breath work came to Wim Hof because I've studied it in details how we came about to understand this and so this Mm -hmm. is an ancient the this teaching is thousands of years old yeah and one of the things that benefits him and everybody who practices breath work including meditation is that you can actually impact your autoimmune system, your you you can change your biology, your DNA
2: yeah.
1: through these practices. It's incredible. I mean, you know, you you literally I haven't tried it, but I know he's tried it and he's taught people how to do it where scientists they inject them with various things and through this focus and breath work, they are resistant to to various uh, yeah. harmful diseases and poisons,
2: and it's yeah, incredible. It's I mean, yeah, the, this book right here, this this one, the wedge. Have you heard of this? I have, yes. Yeah, I just started reading that. Um, I heard of this guy Scott Carney on a podcast. He t- he goes deep into this stuff. Really amazing. Oh, it's
1: it's it's incredible. I mean, um, I
2: do I do also energy
1: healing. So I've been doing it oh, for nice. a number of years, and I do distance he, distant healing. Like my mother, she had shoe years ago. She's in Australia, just outside Melbourne, and and I did something for her. I just asked her which part of the body it was it was on her foot, and the swelling gone down when I called her a few hours later, and she was walking. She sprained her ankle and yeah so i, I can I do loads That's of amazing. things so you know i 've cool. been studying for twenty five years with um, reading and i 've been traveling around the world to, you know getting first hand experience from various mystics and gurus and masters mm. and then i 've been practicing i first time I've learned how to meditate after about a week. They ask me to meditate for eight hours without having to eat or go to the bathroom. So wow. I've done I've done a sort of weeks and weeks of uh, you know 3 to 4 hours of meditating every single day now. When I'm not so busy I try to meditate hour in the morning, hour in the evening and an hour during the day sort of lunchtime. Yeah. Uh break you it do down. any
2: fasting? You're messing around with
1: fasting? I, I do. Yes, I do intermittent fasting. Tried it yeah. first time about 10 years ago. So yeah. um, I did intermittent fasting still do. Mm-hmm. And then once a month i do like 24 hour or 48 hour fast but i do water fast yeah i don't do like no consumption of anything so i just do water fast and the first probably few hours when i wake up i probably drink about i don't know maybe four liters of water because you know yeah. what people don't understand the the signal to the brain i'm hungry it's actually you are thirsty it's volume really. <laughs> yeah 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 so so you know most often than not when we feel hunger it's not hunger it's the thirst Mm. but we we've been programmed to translate into and you know that's why when we when we take urine it's never crystal clear it's always yellow yeah and that yeah, yeah. is a show of dehydration, not enough water in our Got system. It. I mean, we are like, over, our bodies are made of uh, over 75% water. So it's very yeah. important, as you say, to hydrate. But going um, back to you and your incredible work that you do for humanity, I would say, yeah, thank you. because not only that you help men, you come on podcasts, you go on, on different shows, on different videos and you share Mm -hmm. your very inspiring journey of your personal transformation of Mm -hmm. your bravery your resilience i think that in itself is very inspiring and then second thing is your work that you do to help these men you know it's incredible because if i may say so it takes a lot of balls to you know be courageous to talk to another guy the way you do to say listen dude you have these issues And it's okay to have these issues. It's normal. You know, you're not less of a guy, less of a masculine, big, macho, you know, 300 pound can lift 500 pound bench press. You're not less of that. But you also have this big heart and soul inside of you, which is also very important. And you give them, as you say, a bag of tools for them to experience vulnerability, to experience emotions and to achieve their goals, which is incredible. I mean, you 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 single-handedly probably are responsible for saving many relationships many marriages mm. maybe future health issues who knows you know that's amazing thank you so much yeah no thank you so for our
2: listeners and our viewers where can Uh people find you? Um, So I have a website. It is themanunbreakable.com. That's kind of the HQ. Um, I'm active, super active on LinkedIn. Just my name, Sam Morris. Um, I'm also active on Instagram, uh, the Unbreakable Man Project, at the Unbreakable Man Project. And then I'm on Facebook as well, Sam Morris. If you want to send me an email, it's info at themanunbreakable.com. That's incredible.
1: Now, Can you tell me, I want to ask you a question. You're already making a huge positive impact on humanity, on the world globally, Mm -hmm. not just in Austin, Texas. What is the impact you would like to leave on the world, on
2: humanity while you are here? Wow. Um, The impact I want to leave while I'm here is that it's okay not to be okay. People need to know that Everybody has been not okay, whether they admit it publicly or not. And it's okay to not be okay and to sit with that and not to push it away. It's okay to face your feelings. And through persistence and through vulnerability and through love, self-love, by admitting that you're not okay, you will become okay almost immediately. That's amazing. That's amazing. And also, you
1: are not alone. Not That's just true. admitting you are not alone. Reach out. Reach out to Sam Morris. Reach out to best friend. Reach out. Speak up. It's not, as you say, and it's okay for other people who love you, who care about you, to know that you are not okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Sam. For It's an absolute honor to have you on my podcast, The Human Experience. And I'm sure this is uh, one of the first collaborations of many to come. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Sam.
2: Thank you, Alden. It's great to be here.